Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Anthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, England win a test match. We'll bring you all the fallout from Lords and hear from England captain Ben Stokes and man of the match, Joe Root. Debutant Matt Potts talks about receiving his cap from Harmy, and we speak live to England batter Johnny Bairstow. As well as this, we'll hear from Paul Collingwood on what next for him after being interim head coach. And we'll talk about the Ashes potentially being brought forward. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, we've uh, spoken uh, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks about the fairy tale matrix, and Joe Root certainly had it applied at Lord's. His 26th Test Match century, passing 10,000 Test Match runs, becoming just the 14th player to join that particular club and uh, beginning life uh, with a win under the new regime of Brenda McCullum and Ben Stokes. And also exactly the same age as Sir Alistair Cook was uh, when he passed 10,000 runs. Quite extraordinary. Of course, Sir Alistair then retired a couple of years later. But if Joe carries on till he's, I don't know, 35, 36, he will pass Sachin Tendulkar's um, career total, Harmy, surely. Well, he'll get close. Um, he'll get close. He hasn't had any sort of major injuries, which is a good thing. Um, and like Sir Alistair Cook, you know, his mental mentality is is fantastic within the group uh, and mindset of scoring runs. So I think everything's in front of him to go and score as many runs as he he possibly wants. To say to play till he's thirty five. People would say Alistair Cook finished his career early, um, and you still still see him churning out runs for Essex. But I think there's a time mentally when it comes that you've had enough of the the touring, the travelling, and I think the captaincy takes a lot out of you. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how his mindset is over the course of the next two or three years. But 
if he does play at least 35, 36, then Sachin's record's there. It's there for to, to be had. And it was it was amazing. It was it was amazing to watch him go about his job on the last on the especially on the last day when everybody thought Mullen session very difficult, overcast conditions. It's going to be tough. England needs 61, but with four number tens, Joe's got to get the bulk of the runs. And the biggest surprise for me on that morning was nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened throughout the day. It was just, well, Joe rocks up, picks his bat up. Wait, he actually picked his bat up from a standing position because I think there's a few of them pictures going around. He was brilliant. And to see him go past 10,000 runs, get 100 to win a game, first now outside of captaincy, I think that tells you everything about the greatness of Joe Root. And let's remind ourselves what Joe himself had to say afterwards. You pride yourself in winning and winning was all that I could think about. It's been a long time for this team. It's felt like that, um, so it, it meant a huge amount to get over the line. Obviously, it was very special to to get to 100 and to to reach 10,000 runs. I'm not going to pretend that that's not the case, but nothing replicates winning games of cricket and winning Test matches. Um, it's such a good feeling at the end there, and one that hopefully now we can gain a lot of confidence from and we can replicate throughout the rest of the summer. Joe Root, uh, as modest and self-effacing as always, and uh, the man who took over the captaincy from him had this to say. Never any doubt about Joe, you know, stepping up on the big occasions. Um, he didn't have to speak so nicely about me because he's going to be playing the next game anyway. So. <laughs> um, uh, no, but look, I mean, you know, everything that you guys touched on there and asked him, you know, about the captaincy and everything like that. To see him walk off there, 115 not out, you know, leading the team to victory um, and just seeing, you know, the, the, the emotion which, you know, of, of pure joy and happiness to... To win a game for England, you know, in his first game after stepping down as captain was, you know, amazing to see. Um, you know, we're very close and we're not just, you know, work colleagues together. So, you know, as emotional it was for him, uh, it was fantastic for me to see, you know, a very close friend um, walk off uh, leading England to victory. Um, so, yeah, it was a great day. That was Ben Stokes, uh, who, of course, is um, one of uh, Joe's Best mates. Well, they they are best mates, aren't they? I mean, just fantastic uh, relationship. And um, to see Joe Root uh, return to the ranks in such magnificent uh, form and, and producing such a match-winning innings was uh, it was quite remarkable. Um, it was his first ever fourth innings century of the 26 that he's made. He's scored nine test hundreds in the last 18 months. <laughs> just remarkable, isn't it? It is, when, especially when you just think that one win from 17 in them in them 18 months uh, you can think of England going all around the world playing in some you know, so in the subcontinent playing Australia playing the Caribbean so he's done it all around the world as well and it was a surprise when I, when somebody said it was his first fourth innings century but he's won a lot of cricket matches for England getting first innings runs and when they say you know, first innings runs means a lot to a team Joe's hundreds, double hundreds in the subcontinent to win games. He's just a he's a wonderful character, wonderful player. And it comes back to what we said right at the start of the summer, Manners, when, when Joe resigned from the captaincy. Just that little joke between Ben Stokes and, and Joe Root. And I'm still 100% convinced that if Joe Root was sacked and what didn't resign the captaincy, then I don't think we'd be in the position we are now because I don't think Ben Stokes would have took the job off the back of... You know, his best mate, you know, being removed from office. So I think it all the all the sort of stars have aligned to get to the position we're in now. And it comes down to the fact that you know, Ben Stokes has 
as in Joe's words, Ben Stokes has done a lot for Joe Root when he was captaincy, and he now wants to repair the favour, and boy, did he start well. Time now to hear from England batter Johnny Bairstow, who loved the performance of Joe Root. He's an integral part to the team. He's an integral part to, uh, to what we've done over the last 10 years. Um, and the, the way in which um, he went about it through possibly the hardest period of uh, time that we'll go through in our, in our lifetime, really. And he was captain of England to, uh, to try and captain a side that was depleted on, on stocks because of obviously the two different uh, squads that were going uh, with the white ball, the red ball, with um, the scheduling that was taking place, with all the quarantines that were going on uh, with everything that was thrown at him, the composure that he uh, kept and the calmness that he kept is a, a huge credit to himself. And um, and I think that that needs to be appreciated as well because to score that many runs whilst you've got everything else that's going on and to hold his composure like he did is uh, is commendable. And it's no surprise that he's come out and um, to score his 10,000th test run the same time he scored his... I think it's 26th, uh, 2600th is really fitting, especially when it's at Lords. Yeah, it, is, it couldn't have been written any better. It might well have been his best test match ever. I mean, he played a, an outstanding knock there to get, us, to get us over the line. And look, I think the way that we as a side uh, went about the whole test match, really, to absorb pressure, then to put, try and put pressure back on them, the ebbs and flows, after winning, uh, after losing the toss and um, them batting obviously on a pitch that they thought was uh, going to be suitable for batting to bowl them out for 100 and 130 then to bat obviously we'd have liked a few more but at the same time we still went past their score when they chose to bat first so we've we've actually scored more runs in each innings than they have and look the, the spell from Brody and how that changed the, the game when they had that fantastic partnership um, between Mitchell and Blundell was was cracking and we see, we can see how we're, we're able to turn things on its head. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, and look, I think that that's the way it's going to be. You want to, you want to play exciting cricket. You want to go about it in an exciting way and you want people to go home at the end of the day going, oh, I had a really good day here. I really enjoyed watching it. So yeah, I think that that'll, that'll keep happening with, with Ben and uh, Brendan at the helm. Final question then. Um, with Ben and Brendan at the helm, did it feel like a different bus or same bus, different driver? Look, I think it's it, it will take time um, for it will naturally take time for uh, them to put everything that they want in place. I think that, that that is something that we need to be aware of as well. It, it was a fantastic start, and yeah, there was a different atmosphere around it. There was a there was an excitement around it. There was you can see on the on the field when. You've got bowlers that are running in trying to take wickets. You've got batsmen going out trying to put pressure back on to the opposition. You've got a, an energy that's within the field. Whether that's the first test of the summer and the excitement of playing at Lords, potentially there's some element to that. Let's see what let's see let's see where we're at and test number seven at the end of August. <laughs> but no, look, you can tell by my reaction. It's um, it's an exciting place to be as a side and it's going to be an exciting journey that, that we're hopefully at the start of. That was England batter Johnny Bairstow reflecting on the magnificent Joe Root. Let's just talk a little bit about the captaincy because as much as it is an honour and a privilege and it's something that most cricketers who play for England 
Actually, I don't know whether most would aspire to to captain the team. I don't know whether the majority would mm. um, want the job or not. But it is a, a massive uh, responsibility. And uh, to remind ourselves of what Joe said himself um, about the toll it took on him towards the end. It'd become a very unhealthy relationship, to be honest, the captaincy and me. And um, it started to really take a, a bad toll on, on, on my own personal sort of health and um, I couldn't leave it at, at the ground anymore, it was coming home, it was not fair on my family and, and people close to me and it wasn't fair on myself either, I'd thrown everything at it, I was obviously, as I mentioned to you out there, determined to help turn this team around but realised that you know, over that time of being at home it was going to have to be in a different way um, you know, I'm very excited now to, to do that and, and to try and do everything I can to to help Ben really turn this team around and, and make it the, the force that it, it should be in Camden. I, I didn't really think it through when I said that the majority of cricketers who play for England would aspire to be captain. I'm not sure, sure that is true because it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, as much as an honour and a privilege it is, it's also a heavy burden. Yeah, and no, that's it. It's, it's, one of, it's one of them jobs where you'd love to have it, but then don't want to live through it because of, of what comes with you know, the especially when we keep going back to it, especially during COVID, Joe took a lot on apparently and a lot of things ended up in on Joe Root's intra rather than just changing the, you know, changing the team, changing the field and going out and scoring runs. There was a lot of unnecessary stuff that went into captaincy during that time. Um, and I think obviously it's it took its toll, not on the team, but on, on the individual itself. And I think it is, it's a great honor to have, but it's it's a very very difficult one to to sort of live through, um, and that's why the players only last sort of four or five years. Some players don't even last that long, and some players um, don't marvel in the the challenge of being a leader of, of of the England cricket team and the pressures that you know comes with it. So, yeah, I, I think Ben will do a good job. I thought he did a good job in that first Test match. I thought he looked as though he spoke with authority towards the bowlers. There was it one or two times there you could see him um talking to broad anderson and potts at the end of the, at the end of the mark when they were making a plan and it looked as though there was one person driving that conversation and it wasn't the three bowlers the two grits it was ben stokes and i think he was i think he was not laying the law down but i think he was telling them exactly what he expected of them and i don't think joe was as forceful as that it's not criticism it's just the nature of the of the human being but I thought so far so good. His field positions were good. His tactical nous was was quite good. Possibly got a little bit caught up in the emotion when Blundell and um, and Mitchell were going. We we seemed to be bowling the same ball at two different types of batsmen. But you can get that in a in in a session when you know you're you're trying to think of one thing and you just completely forget about what's going on. Um, but as a learning curve goes, so I think it was a good start for Benjamin Stokes. I thought the bowling was fabulous. Um, Broad and Anderson were genius and Maddie Potts really looked the part. I mean, very rare that a fast bowler on debut looks quite the part that uh, Matt Potts did. Let's talk about the batting. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago, England had four number 10s. How does that make the number seven feel? And how well was uh, and how how well did Ben folks cope on the last day? He did. He batted brilliantly. And I'm pleased for him as well because he puts me back in my box for the summer because I've all talked about Bairstow being at number seven. Um, I, I still think if you're going to play your four best bowlers, 
your number seven's got to score runs. It's he's more important as a run scorer than he is a wicketkeeper, unfortunately. And it sounds awful saying it, but if you're going to play your four best bowlers, which Braun and Anderson are two of them, then you chuck Potts in, potentially a spinner or another seamer. You're not, your seven batsmen have got to do their job and. We can talk about what's gone on at one, two, and three, but fair play to Ben Folks. I thought he was absolutely magnificent on that. On that, the late on the third day, I thought he stood up to the task very, very well to get to the close. Well, when when Ben Stokes got out, I thought Ben Folks' temperament, calm. He's a quite a calm character. I thought he was he was excellent. And then on the obviously on the fourth morning, he had two lovely shots down the ground, two beautiful on drives down the ground, um, which shows that. He's a proper batsman. He can bat, not a problem at all. And he has done for Surrey so far this season. Um, and he's got runs when he's played. And I was really, really pleased for him because whenever I sit here and say, I think Bairstow should bat seven or Ollie Pope should think about taking the gloves. I'm not having a go at Ben Folks as a cricketer or as the all it's, it's the all-round package. I'm looking at the balancer side out and we need runs at seven and Ben Folks has got himself in a position for me now to be in for the rest of the summer. He got his team over the line with Joe Root. Um, and this obviously the summer is one from one at this minute in time. So good for Ben Folks and it'll it'll you know it'll put that best of keeping wicket at beer for for a little bit of time yet. Very quickly, Crawley and Pope, Zach Crawley and and um, Ollie Pope. Um, Mark Taylor was commentating on the test match for Sky. He said that he thought Pope looked really organised and looked like a test player, but we've been saying that for, for 25 test matches now. We have, unfortunately. He was less frantic than he was in Australia, possibly for the from the ball bouncing in Australia against Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark and you know, the, the battery that they had. He needs somehow, Crawley needs to get a score, Pope needs to get a score, a bit like what what Ben Folks is. They've got to find a way. The good thing about that that test match, England found a way to win the game. And somehow Ollie Pope has just got to hang in there and somehow find a way to get to fifty. Not to get a hundred. You know, we're not you're not asking for miracle things at this minute in time. If Lee's Crawley and, and Pope can manage to somehow find a way of getting fifty, getting then sixty, getting seventy and build through the summer, then England will do well this summer if we are constantly 30 for three and Joe, Joe's walking in again at the same time. We're bent to try and get us in a position to win the game again. Then the longevity of, of them at the top of the order will not be will not be that long. But he looked less frantic, but still, there's still no scores. And I, I heard a, a great thing about New Zealand's bowling plans towards Zach Crawley. It was just bowl half volleys at him. And that's all I'd do to him. I'd bowl him half volleys, give him 12 runs, and say, go on, have a go, have another go at driving that one. And there was a there was a little technical change, which I thought was quite good. But every now and again, that right shoulder comes in and he, he played at one that he, he probably shouldn't have. So I think they're, they're a work in progress at the top of the order. Lee's looked as Lee's has done throughout his test career. He looked quite solid and then all of a sudden got to 20-30 and, and got out. So you know, all three of them will be looking to hopefully try and just find a way of getting to 50 if they do that, it'll build confidence and then hopefully for the rest of the summer they can go on and on and then kick on from it. But at the minute, there's still pressure on that one, two, three because we need it. We need to get off to good starts. I'm sure there's a lineage of uh, Durham fast bowlers coming through. 
Um, I mean, we've got another one in the making that's just been selected in the one-day team in Bryden Cars. Look, we, we make them big and strong up north, <laughs> which I'm sure you can probably see that we're thoroughbred from up there. I mean, look, I join a long list of, of players that have come from Durham, um, the all-ball fast, and to have it presented by Harmy meant an awful lot. And he had a few kind words to say, which was, was always really nice as well. I'm going to wear that cap with pride every time I put it on. Um, and just an absolutely proud moment for, for me and the family. Um, a really, really special day. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmerson as we continue to look back at England's five-wicket win over New Zealand in the first test at Lords, And that, of course was uh, Matty Potts speaking after a wonderful, wonderful Test match debut. Four for 13 in the, the first first innings. Quite remarkable. Um, Harmi, I, I thought your cat presentation was was really, really moving. Um, the biggest eyebrow raiser was when you referred to the New England captain as Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin, yeah. It does his Sunday name, isn't it? So, I, look, I was so proud to... Yeah, I got obviously got the phone call on Tuesday night to say, look, Potts is going to play. We would love you to present the cap if you're in London. Um, and obviously I had to try and talk my way out of the first part of um, the Netherlands and the West Indies to go over. And there was two things I wanted to see. I wanted to see part of the, the cap and presentation, but also to see, to see Ben walk out for Lords for the first time with his England blazer and England cap on to go and toss the coin for for his first toss as England captain because I've seen Ben since he was 15, 16 year old when Jeff Cook come in and said to me, I've got an absolute belter from Cumbria. It's unbelievable. This this kid is uh, is special. And I remember John Windows, who should take a huge amount of credit, John Windows. Nobody really knows who John Windows is, knows his name. But a lot of the conveyor belt, apart from me and Paul, that Durham have had have come through John Windows' academy. Everything's gone through the academy at Durham. And John Windows was the man that took over from Jeff when Jeff went up to the first team coach. And I remember John Windows coming to me when talking about Stokes and he went, I've never seen him as excited and talk about an individual more than when he first saw you. He says, that's how much he rates this kid. Ben Stokes over from Cumbria and forever, ever since then that's 15 year old ever since then you've kept an eye on him and watched him through and develop so to see him come through like that and Matty Potts is a Matt Potts is another one off the conveyor belt like he's just mentioned that have come through that academy and it was it was amazing to see them two things and I enjoyed the presentation to be back in that in a huddle again on a field at Lords was was special and I thought he bowled fantastically well. It was brilliant at the end of the, the, the cap and presentation. They all gone off. And he's, obviously mum and dad and I think mum and dad, girlfriend and sister weren't allowed on the field. So they were sitting on a on a picnic bench at the bottom, right in front of the pavilion. So I, I went over to say, well done. His dad's massive. He's bigger than me. He's about six foot eight. His dad, big tall guy. So proud, um, which was great. Girlfriend was crying. Sister was crying. Mum was in floods of tears. But it was, I th- I'm sure they have had as just as good a week as what, what Matt Potts did. And I thought he conducted himself very, very well on the field. And I thought he spoke fantastically well off the field. Well, you spoke fantastically well on the field, although you said that you were very nervous. <laughs> Apart from the pride and honour, you placed a massive amount of emphasis on enjoyment, didn't you? You said you've got to remember to enjoy yourself. Yeah, well, man, as I, the thing that was always in my... And I used to get criticised for it because people thought... 
he's not interested. He's not bothered. He doesn't want to play. And it's like, I do want to play. I am interested. I love the fact that I've got three lines on my head. And the biggest thing I always, always wanted to feel was not to be feared about what that, that cap meant. And I think during that ceremony, I, I did say, this is the best thing you'll ever be given as a, as a cricketer. To be given an England, England test cap, it's the best thing you'll ever receive as a, as a cricketer. From coming from coming from England, because you've been selected as one of the best eleven players in the country to to represent the the country, and you know, it's it's now your chance to to put a mark on history. And with a cap, and I, and I said about the number, uh, I'm pleased because I had this rehearsed the, the number on the back, and it did have the number on the back. I'm pleased it did have it, because I said when you ever whenever you look at that, and that's going on your head. That number is so unique because it's your number. Nobody ever has got a sim- same number as that. They've got the same cap on as you, but they haven't got that number. And that number means of hard work, dedication, and everything that they've gone before to get to that point. And then you have to work hard to keep that on your head. And the biggest thing for me was the best time of your life is playing international cricket. You don't get this feeling playing first-class cricket or 2020 cricket. The best feeling in your life is when you walk out in front of 25,000, 30,000 at Lords with an England cap on in white. And that for me is not to be um, frightened of. It's not to be um, overawed. And the biggest thing is if it's the best time of your life, boy, you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy the best time of your life, which is playing test match cricket. And if you do that, you've got a chance of a, of a good career. And I think the boy has. Tell you what, there's been a few bowlers, fast and slow, over the years who've had to wait days for their first test cricket. Maddie Potts did for their first test wicket. Um, well, Maddie Potts didn't. Honestly, um, I felt very, very composed before the first ball. Then I bowled a long hop second ball, and I was very, very nervous after that. Um, just focused on putting it in a good area, look, hit, hitting the pitch hard with a bit of wobble on it. Um, and that ball nipped off a good length, um, drawn a bit of a false shot. Um, with a nice catch from Folksy, I mean, absolute elation. A test debut at the home of cricket in the pinnacle format of cricket. And then to get the New Zealand cap now, fifth ball, um, yeah, absolutely over the moon and can't put into words really how that feels. I know it probably meant a lot, an awful lot to me um, and an awful lot to my family as well. That's Matty Potts. Well, he says he can't put it into words. I think he does. I think he puts it <laughs> into beautiful words. He did. I thought he spoke brilliantly after the game. Um, a, a, a man who... Raw, naive. I thought it was beautiful when he spoke after the game. But what a wicket! First up, get Kane Williamson in your first over. That is dreams are dreams are made of. And uh, I thought he I thought he conducted himself very very well. Said at the start, he's not the fastest. He's not going to be a Jofra Archer, Mark Wood, blow people away. But he's a strong boy that hits deck hits the deck hard. Um, and he will get the ball to move because of the strength that he has in his body, and he'll be deceptively quicker than what uh, the speed gun will will say. I thought he bowled magnificent throughout. He already have nine nine point two in the first innings, twenty overs in the second innings. I think his speeds were very very consistent between eighty two and eighty five mile an hour, and because of that, he was always ans- asking questions. A little bit like what. Scott Boland did in the winter for, for Australia. He came in, he hit the deck hard, bowled good lengths, um, and he made the batsman challenge on the outside and inside edge of their bats. And I don't think you can ask too much more than that, especially when you're in the company of Broad and Anderson. Broad 
magnificent match-changing spell on day three. New Zealand uh, lost their last five wickets for 45. Um, he's uh, he's still got it. Uh, those magic magic streaks. So clearly. Um, He's going to play, I, I presume, <laughs> on his home ground at Trent Bridge. What about uh, any other changes? Matt Parkinson is in the squad. Um, Jack Leach can't begin training until the day before. So would England play Parkinson or they play another seamer? Or I'm not any, sure. Any changes? I'm not sure. I, I look at this and go, well, they'll never, they're never going to leave Stuart Broad out. I tell you what. After the after the dummy throw he had at Southampton, after what he said in Australia, if you left Stuart Broad out at Trent Bridge, I'm not sure what he'd do. I'm not sure what he'd do. I think if you had the, I think he might anchor ten o'clock news and tell the world that he's not very happy. Um, Broad has to play. Anderson has to play. Potts has to play. You might see this game with no spinner in it. I don't think New Zealand will play a spinner. I think Wagner comes in, and then they'll check on whether the the the, the Grand Home whoever comes in for uh, Nichols comes in for De Grundholm and whether Wagner and Henry possibly come in for maybe one of Bogues or Southie in that and play four seamers. I look at the four number tens and think I'd love to play Parkinson. I really would. But Overton gives me a little bit more in the batting and I still think you have to be concerned from the batting front. Um, so you might be Overton. And I think we had a little bit of a sign uh, yesterday that Matt Parkinson was released to go and play for Lancashire in a 2020 game, which was uh, either last night or tonight, along with Harry Brook. So I just wonder if England are thinking Overton at eight with Potts, Broad and Anderson. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. Ben bowls when he needs to bowl. Um, and England have got five seamers, you know, four, four, four and a half seamers um, to go at, um, which just makes the balance of the side that little bit better. And Joe can always bowl some spin if England need half a dozen slow overs. Exactly. You're, <laughs> you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's five-wicket win over New Zealand in the first test at Lords. Next up, we'll discuss the performances of the tourists and how they look to bounce back in the series. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June 
which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, as promised at the top of the show, we are joined by uh, one of New Zealand's most... um, Preeminent, probably, cricket writer, Andrew Alderson of uh, the New Zealand Herald. Andrew, um, thanks so much for joining us. Lots to talk about as we look back and forward to Trent Bridge. But I suppose, let's start with selection. Did New Zealand get it wrong at Lords? Should uh, Neil Wagner or Matt Henry have played ahead of Ajaz Patel, uh, considering how Kane Williamson appeared to lack confidence in his spinner? Yeah, look, I've got plenty of questions too, Neil, and it's um, I, I, I think I'm pleased they went with AJS Patel, and uh, you know he's he had that former course in Mumbai, etc. He hasn't had a chance to play Test cricket since, and I just think it gave them just that extra option if they needed it. And I think probably the circumstances of the game, the, the fact that it was so far advanced uh, by that fourth day, and, and indeed the, the back end of the third day, probably didn't uh, work in his favour. And then also, of course, the the great tactic from Ben Stokes to attack him, uh, given that they. I mean, that, I suppose they still had a few more runs to play with at that point. But then, given the last day, they only had 61 runs to play with. It showed that they probably didn't have the confidence that they they needed in Ajax Patel. At least Williams is saying he'd prefer to stick with his seamers. So I think that was probably a, you know, a strategic advantage for England, really, in the end. But uh, I don't think they got it wrong necessarily. Andrew, I thought uh, I must admit, I was sitting at the end of the game, well, I was during the game, and thinking one of these teams are going to go, how on earth have we lost this game because of positions they were in? And and you keep talking about going on the selection. Another one that fascinated me was Devin Conway. Back at number four, He's you know, he, he got double hundred in England last year, opening the batting. I thought he would have been a, an ideal number three, especially in English conditions. Um, but there was there was that, and there was there was one or, one or two other surprises. Is, is it as simple as New Zealand going, well, we've missed the opportunity there. We didn't play badly, but we just missed the opportunity at Lords. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Steve. I think that uh, Conway should be opening. Uh, and Young is, is more suited to number four. That's where he's batted the majority of his uh, first-class career is further down the order. And Conway just has that technical brilliance, I think, that, that uh, excellence there that would enable him to be possibly a better partner with Latham. But they preferred the left-hand, right-hand combination you know, Young has had uh, some success, I mean, even in the English County game uh, across this season with uh, Northamptonshire. So I think that they will persevere with him. I asked Gary Stead that yesterday. That's what they're looking to do, is stick with the same top four in that order. So uh, it's not going to change for the time being. But you wouldn't want to waste a resource like Conway because, uh, as we've seen, at his best, uh, he's uh, utterly sensational. And what do they do with Colin de Grondon? 
Well, he's that's... gone with, with the injury. And uh, what I think will happen is that Henry Nichols is sort of a yes-no-wait situation, if you like, that Henry Nichols is fit again, although he's hoping he's fit. He's, he's gone through all the tests so far. He's going to move into five. I think Mitchell will drop to six and Blundell to seven. And then you're left with the conundrum again uh, around the, the bowling combination uh, for Trent Bridge and whether they still persevere with Ajaz Patel. He's an extraordinary cricketer, Daryl Mitchell, um, in, in many ways. I mean, he keeps catching people by surprise, doesn't he? He won the, the semi-final almost single-handedly in the T20 World Cup. And then you know, he steps up at the last minute into the test team and scores 100, gets on the honours board. Extraordinary cricketer. It's brilliant. He is a, a, a big match, sort of gladiatorial type player, Neil, I think. And he, for me, Mitchell, just the versatility that he's shown in the side, he's never really missed a beat. Every time he's been asked to do something, he's delivered. He also batted at number three in Mumbai and made 60 when Kane Williamson, you know, this elbow injury resurfaced with him. Uh, he originally came into the team as an all-rounder, probably at, at number seven and with his bowling as well. But the batting's gone from strength to strength as the Lord's uh, honours board will now attest and uh, he's just done so many things in that side. And uh, not to mention, I think, and this is probably goes underrated as well, he's an outstanding first slip, and he's taken over that role from Ross Taylor, and that probably uh, underscores his credentials as well, again, and being able to make the side regularly from now on. I, I don't think he's dropped one yet in that role. And um, Tom Blundell's 96? I mean, uh, we, everyone talks about the four runs he didn't score uh, ahead of the 96 that, that he did score, but... You know, talking of, of Ross Taylor, I mean, it's uh, Ross Taylor and BJ Watling, two greats of, of New Zealand cricket. People wondered what would happen when they stepped aside. But Daryl Mitchell and Tom Blundell have uh, have answered that question. And, and you know, again, a couple of years ago, people talking about a, a once in a generation New Zealand team. This is probably the strongest New Zealand team of all time. But it does seem like there's a bit of a production line being established now. And it's not just a once in a generation thing. That's right, to a point. I mean, there's, it's tremendous what they've been able to achieve and, and be able to replace those roles pretty fluently, pretty, uh, you know, without too many bumps in the road. Uh, what I'm slightly concerned about is that almost everyone in the team, if you look at the uh, the bell curve, is sort of between 29 and 31, or 20, uh, 33. I think there's a couple outside that, maybe Colin de Granholm, 35. Uh, Kyle Jamieson, 27. Um, and the, the next person down below that is, is Rachel Ravindra, who's 22, I think. So there's probably some development needs to take place uh, at that younger level with players coming through. But then the incumbents have been so strong that there, there hasn't been uh, those opportunities. And what about Cam Williamson, the, the elbow injury? Is he fully fit? Is he still trying to manage that? Is he going to get through these three test matches back to back to back? Um, because I thought there were signs in that in the game technically where his elbow he wasn't getting it as high as is what he he normally does and you know a very technical fantastic batsman. Um, is there is there a concern there for the New Zealand fans? Oh, absolutely, Steve. I think you did right uh, that. Kane Williamson, it's been ongoing. Um, he's made the commitment to the IPL. We didn't see him in, in the, the home summer across uh, any game at all. And he was determined to come back uh, for this test series in England. But it, it's still a concern. And uh, I mean, it's it's right for now. But it just, just it's those subtleties, isn't it? It's the technicalities that, you know, when someone has batted like that for years and has been used to be able to use the elbow uh, so uh, productively if you like and, and it's so core to his technique 
uh, I, I hope that it's uh, certainly not going to debilitate him uh, too much across across the series and beyond because it's still a question mark. And Andrew, finally, I think it's so typically New Zealand that all of the reaction that I've seen and and heard and read um, about the appointment of Brendan McCullum as as Test coach for England has been supportive, celebrate, celebratory almost. Um, there just doesn't seem to have been a single word of uh, of of regret or, or or criticism or anything. I mean, it, or am I just misreading it? Have I just have I just not seen the criticism? Um, look, it has been remarkably magnanimous, hasn't it? And uh, that is, uh, yeah, it's testament, I think, to the people, yeah, just wanting to celebrate what he's better to achieve. I mean, I think it's just such a rarity, isn't it, that a, that a New Zealander could possibly consider to be coaching uh, England uh, over the course of, you know, I just, I, I would almost thought it would be unfathomable at one stage there that this is a possibility. But, you know, McCullum has established such a reputation in New Zealand with how he turned the team around, of course, from the, the dreaded day of, uh, 40, the day 45 in, in Cape Town, where they had to go back to that hotel room and, and sort out how they were going to uh, adapt the team then and beyond. And they turned it round. And I think there's a lot of, not sympathy so much, but a lot of support for the, him, the, the fact that he was at the heart of that and has been able to, to achieve what he did uh, with the side during that period up until 2015, 2016. And Kane Williamson's taken it on with the leadership. Um, you add others into that as well, Mike Hess and Cedric uh, Gary Stead now too. But uh, McCullum is, is a larger-than-life character and uh, people are prepared to give him quite a bit of slack, I think, in that regard. And Because you, you don't want to be, uh, you know, want to be a restrained trade or anything either for someone to, uh, to develop their, their skills in the coaching realm too. And maybe one day he might take those skills and, and, and coach New Zealand. Are you confident that uh, New Zealand will bounce back at Trent Bridge? <laughs> I just think that it's potentially a really close series, isn't it? There's not much in it. And you know, McCullum has provided a real fillip to the England team and, and requested they play with freedom and that's going to suit players like Ben Stokes and Joe Root at least it appears to me to get the best out of them and uh, I just think that uh, it could be a really neck and neck I mean it'd be great for, for the fact that I think New Zealanders are rejoicing in the fact that there's actually a three test series for a change <laughs> um, they're so used to playing two test series now uh, anywhere in the world but to play three in England is a real privilege and I think that. Yeah, if it, say it was one all going into Headley, that would be uh, that would be a storming way for it to you know to finish up. Enjoy the test, man. Enjoy the rest of the summer, Andrew. And many many thanks indeed for your time. Lovely, thanks, Neil. Thanks, Steve. That was Andrew Alderson, cricket writer of the New Zealand Herald. And a reminder: the second test between England and New Zealand at Trent Bridge gets underway on Friday morning, with updates throughout the day over on Talksport. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. OK, um, talking of Ashes, Harmy, we're on to uh, stories from around the world and um, and uh, those not in the mainstream. But uh, this is an interesting one. England could move the 2023 Ashes to its earliest start time ever um, next year in order to uh, help the white ball team defend the World Cup that they currently have um, in India later that year. So, I mean, it could start in, we're reading, in, in late June and finish at the start of August um, with then all of the white ball cricket, including the 100, played after the Ashes is finished. Yeah, I don't mind that. Um, I was part of a World Cup side that went to South Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, South Africa, and we didn't obviously go into Zimbabwe off the back of an Ashes. And I think two, year, two Ashes in a row, we had to play over in Australia, then go straight to the World Cup, meant seven months 
on the road, which we had no chance of, well, we didn't have any chance of winning anyway because we weren't very good. But we, it's it's just one of them. It's one of them things. If you can help, I'd rather do that and give the the teams the best chance possible to win in their sort of own disciplines at the start and at the end, without sort of pulling players here, there and everywhere, what we've just done over the course of the last two years. I know COVID was involved, but I would imagine there'll be, there'll be a huge amount of Red Bull cricket and first-class cricket at the start of next summer, like again, like this. And then the Ashes, bang. Then once you get August, it's done. Red Bull goes away, white ball comes in. I think that makes more sense. I think everybody has clarity of where everybody's going to be. I don't think it really matters when the Ashes are played. As long as the as long as they play the five test matches, and I would imagine they'll be back to back to back first three, then a week, and then the two after that, and then you give the white ball team a chance, and you give white ball players a chance to, you know, go and go and try and prepare for what will be the defence of a of a World Cup. So, I have no problem with that. The good thing about it, they're going to play Ireland as well, which I think Irish cricket will benefit, and I, I still think. Ireland should play a test match, three test matches in England every year over the two touring sides and play in against England in a, in a one-off game or England in a one-off, one-off game because that improved the pool of, of Irish cricket as well because I think a strong Irish cricket will help and benefit English cricket as well because, you know, bouncing players, you know, players, you know, competition, um, another Northern Hemisphere test team which will be a good one, I think will will benefit cricket in, in this part of the world. So I've got no problem with that whatsoever. OK, change of subject. Um, your old mate and teammate, Paul Collingwood, um, having failed to land the um, white ball England job after his spell as interim head coach, he's been talking about his future just recently. I prefer whatever the um, hierarchy uh, happy for me to be involved in. You know, I'm an assistant coach at the moment. I'm involved with the first um, few test matches and looking to um, create a bond and a good relationship with, with Baz um, in, in these test matches. And then we'll see what um, decisions are made after that. But, um, yeah, whichever role that they think is, is best for me and take the team forward, whether that be white or, or red ball, then um, I'm happy to go with it. That's Paul Collingwood sounding pretty magnanimous. Um, and many people made him favourite to take over the, wet, the white ball job. But um, he, he genuinely sounds as if he's happy to adapt and, and just pleased to be involved. Yeah, I think he just wants to be involved. And I think, look, I thought Paul Collingwood had, did a great job in the West Indies. I really did. I thought he did. I thought he turned a few corners for, for England. And if it wasn't for that you know, collapse that England have had for the last two years in Grenada... I think Paul would have had a, a decent shout at the at the job. It, it comes back to the fact that we've got no English coaches. You know, no English coaches in the system. No English one English coach in the hundred. And I think that's the, the the challenge for Rob Key now is this coaching system that we've got is not working. Levels three and four don't work. We haven't produced anybody in 20, 30 years. We haven't produced anybody. It's like telling somebody they've got to serve a you know you've got to sit a driving test but then don't allow them in a car because that's what's happened you know the, these guys are are doing levels three and four they're getting them and then there's no jobs for them they're not giving them jobs they're not giving them a chance and I think Paul is one of the first coaches that we've possibly had that can can justify going right I deserve because of his, his track record as a player in that white ball side and 
I hope he stays involved. I really do, because I think there's a lot of good in Paul Collingwood when it comes to his coaching ability and coaching towards the teams that are being played, whether the red ball or the white ball team. He's, he's good in a dressing room. He's good at the atmosphere. He, he, he looks after his players. He works hard. So for me, I hope to keep him keep him involved along with the likes of Marcus Triscothic because they've got so much to give when it comes to experience point of view. But I think when you bring in an overseas coach, more often than not, he'll want his own team around him. And whether that's Paul Collingwood has a future in that or not, time will tell. OK, just keep this to a general um, point. Harmi, talking about um, strategic retired out in T20 cricket. There were two in one game, <clears throat> in a blast game. It was reduced to eight overs between uh, the um, the Birmingham Bears and uh, the Nottinghamshire Outlaws. So Carlos Brathwaite, who captains the Bears, was in all sorts of trouble. Only an eight-over game. He was in all sorts of trouble against the leg spinner. Um, he, only six runs came off his first over, uh, and he was beaten three times outside the off stump. So when he was given the the ball again to bowl the eighth over Brathwaite was on strike and he said I, I think uh, someone else is better equipped Sam Hain is better equipped to, to face the uh, last over so he retired out and then the Outlaws needed three off the last ball and uh, with Summit Patel at the non-striker's end he retired himself out to bring on a faster runner <laughs> just the whole I mean, it, was, it was amazing I mean it was a big call from Carlos Brathwaite because he's a brilliant striker of the ball but it's, that's him saying I'm not very good against leg spin. Everybody knows it. I don't mind admitting it. And he walked off. Uh, and they got 18 off the last over, uh, which is enough to, to win the game. But in principle, there are those who say, but the whole skill of keeping the, the lesser batter on strike and, you know, bowling dot balls and, you know, that and, and if a guy is struggling, keep him in. Teams have done that in the past. You know, they've, <laughs> they've bowled wide half volleys to, to keep him in. Yeah, um, and and they say that retiring out goes against the spirit of the game. Uh, yeah, I sure. didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. I must admit, I'm like, well, hold on. If he's good enough to go in at that number, you're either in or you're out. So you, if you don't feel as though you can contribute, get yourself out. But don't just walk off. Uh, that that you're bringing substitutes into games and all that nonsense that we don't need. I didn't like it for the simple fact is if I'm a bowler, a bowler gets hit for six and then you think, right, I get, he's off strike. I've got a bowler dot ball. That's not fair that the bloke can just walk off. You know, that it's just that that's not in the spirit, not so much in the spirit of the game. I just don't think it's right. Whether it's in the spirit of the game or not, it's not right. And I think from a, from a bowler's point of view, I've worked hard to get my plans to make sure that I know what I'm going to bowl to the guy who's there. He can't just walk off. Literally, if that's the case, then a ball should have been. So if, if a guy walks off, goes down as a dot ball. So if, if Carlos Brathwaite thinks, first ball of the over, I'm on, I'm on strike and I'm not very good at that, he takes up the ball. So if they need 16 off the last over and he feels as though I'm not the person to equipped to do it, then they need 16 or five balls if he walks off. And that, for me, what's, what, what, what should have happened in that? And, you know, just, just to sort of say, oh, well, all of a sudden, we're going to... 20 over games now in the IPL last for t t two hours, takes them to do 20 overs. If you're going to have people constantly walking on and off in a revolving door because it suits him to go... goes back to the matchup. 
he's matches up better than with him in it. So you're going to be having him coming in and him walking off. No, not for me. The game of cricket's not like that. Shouldn't be like that. And I'm 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 dead against what happened. Even okay, the Samit Patel me, one. I just, I, sorry, I just want a number from you now. On the Steve Harmison scale of ethics and morality, with 10 being despicable and zero being harmless, where would you put the Mancad and retired out? Um, a Mancad is 10. Mancad <laughs> is 10. It is the worst dismissal in the world. You, you've got and to work hard. Out? And retired out is up there as well for me. For the simple Nine. fact is it's, it's the principle of what you're doing. We are the, it's, it's a principle of what you're doing. Is, is wrong. It's right up there, 8, 9, 10, whichever one you want. The role, for me, the role of no-no. The role of not in the spirit of the game, but it's not the game. The game is, if you're not good enough, well, then the bowl is winning. That's what the game is, bat versus ball. Don't just walk okay. off. Sticking with ethics and morality, Ricky Clark um, played uh, a club game for Shruton um, and he smashed 229 off, off 100-odd balls. It just belting club cricketers <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I thought it was, thought it was quite funny. He came in for a bit of a pounding on social media. Your thoughts? He did. He, he came, I thought he came in for some unfair criticism on that. Yeah, you know, I, I sit and watch village cricket every Saturday. You know, my 13-year-old son plays. But it's... Ricky, I, I don't know the, the the whole story of this, but Ricky, it's Ricky Clark just not just playing with his mates. And that's it. He's just playing with his mates. He could play in the in the... Hampshire or the Surrey Premier League if he really wanted to but it's like I've played 20 years 25 years of professional cricket with you know as a job as a living as long as he's not getting any money for playing at that standard and he's playing with his mates then what's the problem I know there'll be people saying that it's not right and you've just had a go at the spirit of the game of cricket but if Ricky Cock wants to play with his mates and he's, you know, he wants to show his mates how good he was then, then that's fine. It's it's like having a centre, it's like having a centre centre forward who scores four or five goals every single week. Is, is it is it fair that he comes and plays at a lower level because he's played it he's played professionally? No, I don't really have a as long as he's not taking any money for it. I've got no real problem for it. But it was interesting because Monty came on. Monty Panesar was replying to a lot of them when people say people say an international cricketers former player shouldn't be coming playing club cricket like that and Monty come on well I play for Twickenham and I've not got a five for this yet <laughs> you know what I'm completely with you Harmi and frankly you know how many of those clubbies um, would have seen up close and personal even if they're the ones being smashed yeah. uh, into the into the cattle um, into the dairy fields next door even if they are how many would have seen a really, really top cricketer up close and personal and experienced that. I, I, Not many. I think I, no, I don't think they would, even if they were youngsters. Anyway, very quickly and finally, India faced South Africa in five T20s, which gets underway. We're commentating ball by ball on the first two of them. On TalkSport 2, the first one is this Thursday. And South Africa are as familiar um, with all their old same names there's got one new player Tristan Stubbs who's a very very exciting ball ball striker but India arresting all of their big names but uh, <laughs> he's still got to make India favourites yeah I was going to say India's first 11 beats India's second 11 and India's third 11 um, beats the majority of the teams in the ICC tournaments so look it's going to be a good series I can't wait for it on TalkSport 2 uh, but South Africa 
they've got the bowlers to push India. You know, the quick bowlers who have been playing in the IPL. So this could be you know, India's third 11, could be a good contest between South Africa. And uh, final final word this week goes to Moeen Ali, who is awarded an OBE at Brilliant. the Queen's Honours for services to cricket. Brilliant. Over the moon. Well, what a character Moen has been. The talk of him coming out of retirement. I don't think he is contemplating coming out of retirement to play in the test side. But congratulations, Mo. You've been an absolute champion to the game of cricket in this country. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And around the world, and you deserve the honour you've just been given. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at the second test between England and New Zealand. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Talk Sport 2.